world-class media, this is World Class. I'm your host, Travis Chappell. Here on World Class, we combine value, entertainment, and behind-the-scenes insights to bring you the most comprehensive view of what it takes to become world-class in what you do. Listen in every week as I have conversations with top business leaders, journalists, hostage negotiators, authors, comedians, producers, you name it. If they're the best at what they do, I'll have a chat with them. I believe that the best way to become world-class is to learn from those who already are. And that's exactly what we do here on the show. You'll learn the skills that you need to master, the mindset that you need to adopt, the work you need to put in, all from people who have walked the road before you. So get ready to learn, be motivated, and most importantly, have a good time because you're listening to World Class. Dave, welcome back to the show. You are like one of maybe three people that has had a first interview and now has been invited back. So it's a pretty elite club at this point. I so. feel like Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. like the five-time host club. Yeah, yeah And we'll exactly. have our own little room, yeah. bathrooms. Cocktail reception. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm in the two-timer club. <laughs> nice. Well, hey, man, I know that you got a super busy schedule and stuff, and we're here at Thrive. You just spoke, crushed the stage and everything like that. So I want to be respectful of your time and just kind of jump right in here. The last time that we talked, and if you're listening to this right now, you can always go search my site for Dave Meltzer and find our last interview that we did. The last time that we talked, we talked a lot about like here and now type stuff, like practical advice and things. So I want to take this opportunity to go back and build a little bit more context and kind of do it in a reverse way and talk more about your story. So let's go back to like very beginning stuff here talk to me about childhood day like you know yeah. day in the life you know academic sports like what would you like to do that I kind think of stuff. first place to always started is when I was five years old because that's when my directive really became present my dad left and my mom had six kids single second wow. grade teacher and she's a super mom in fact I was really happy when I was a kid except for one thing when we didn't have enough money to eat for the car breaking down or for summer camp and yeah. I catch my mom crying and in my mind, I was always happy except for when something money related. And so in my mind, I believe money bought happiness. Hmm. I thought it's the only thing. And if I could buy my mom a house, if I could buy her a car, right. if I, you know, those two things. And so I was really driven at a very young age yeah. that I was going to be rich. People would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'd say rich. Uh, <laughs> like literally, that's what I would say. Did you get a bunch of flack for that? Yeah, cause especially because I come from you know, very humble mom who, you know, the fetus wasn't fully developed till after graduate school. She driv- drove us by Jewish guilt. It was doctor, lawyer, failure. Mm. Everything was your typical standard, get straight A's in school, get a scholarship to college. This is how people are successful. Mm. This is what you do. And here I was in some wacky idea that I didn't have to go to Harvard that, you know, I could drop out of Harvard and be, make millions of dollars. So did you do that? You know, I ended up wanting to play football. Okay. So I went to college to play football. So played a lot of sports growing up then. Yeah, I did. And football and baseball were my best two sports, but I loved football. I wasn't built for it, except for I had a lot of speed. I could run scared faster than most people could angry. <laughs> but I, I literally picked the college that I went to, and I could have went to a lot of different schools so I could play football. And there, as you can imagine, looking at me today, there was a really, really, really long list of colleges <laughs> that wanted me to play football. A lot wanted me to play baseball, yeah. but I did. I went to college, and but I was entrepreneurial. Okay. In college, I took a job selling 
educational materials and back, way back then they had encyclopedias yeah. but basically I learned a lot about business in this job they gave me two leads a night one at 6 p.m. and one at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. and I'd go out they bought leads from hospitals newborn baby parents mm-hmm. and you basically sold them an educational system for $45 for the next 18 years a month and you would get new books so you know books to read yeah, while you're pregnant you. books yeah. when get all the way up to the encyclopedias when the kids yeah. get in high school now all of them are worthless today because the internet <laughs> <laughs> but I learned that I, I could sell, okay. right? And so, and I did the same thing in law school. I went to law school to be an oil and gas litigator. I went to the law school that I chose because those were the richest lawyers, the guys who litigated mm-hmm. oil and gas. Always driven by the money. Yes, yeah, I made my decisions. And I, I actually, I mean, I know I chose my college to play football, mm-hmm. but I thought that's how I was going to make my money. I actually thought I was good enough at five foot seven and 147 pounds that I was had a big enough heart and fast enough yeah. that I would make it. But I was no Darren Sproles. Right, <laughs> I just wasn't that good. Yeah. Right. But one thing I love about that though is that you found a way to jump back into the sports industry, which is super cool. Because I played a ton of basketball growing up, and I always thought I was going to do something in basketball. And uh, so I think it's super cool that you've like maneuvered your way back into this back door and then found a way to still stay in the thing that you love doing. Yeah, you know what's interesting is even when I got out of law school, my first job, I wove sports into my job. So I would host my clients right at sporting events. Mm-hmm. I when I ran big companies, I'd sponsor things, naming rights, gotcha. right? We the world whatever I love to do, right? Yeah. Those were the things that I was involved with. And so I didn't think it was an accident that I was actually the reason, you know, I got into sports is I was a good customer of it. So I was able to articulate, yeah. hey, man, I've been on the buying side for years, which really would make me a great sales guy, which led me to be the CEO of the most notable sports agency in the world. Definitely. So we will definitely get more into that. Yeah. Let's go back to that, kids. Go back to story. <laughs> yeah. So so one of six kids. Kids. Yeah. Five where, boys, one Where girl, are you? Middle. Middle, right middle, in the middle. bottom. Yeah. Okay. So what did everybody else do? Were they all, were they all like, Doctors, hey, lawyers. Yeah. yeah. So my... Oldest brother actually was a doctor. My next brother actually was an engineer. My sister went to Columbia Business School. Uh, all Ivy Leaguers. And then yeah. my next brother, then me, then my next brother went to Harvard, summa cum laude, biochem major. And actually ended up being a rabbi, though. He didn't become a doctor. Really? He's a PhD doctor, right? Yeah. But not. Uh, and then my youngest brother went to Wharton University School of Economics in London, as wow. well as Columbia. So two MBAs. Wow. Never got B's. And so. It was really interesting, though, because I think there's another thing that I learned from my mom. And, you know, the consistent behavior that I have, most people call it work ethic. Mm-hmm. But my mom, she put everyone else first. And so she'd come home from teaching, pack our dinners in a paper bag. We'd go into a country squire station wagon, and the older ones would read to the younger ones. We'd all be piled in there, and she would fill up turnstiles at the 7-Eleven. <clears throat> now, that, that story's really... Uh, layered for me because one you know I believe parents don't tell kids what to do they won't listen if you do Mm. but they show you and I think all of us were there and she was showing us without complaining you know what she was doing and I have this philosophy that you you know you don't do what you love there's no such thing I think that you learn to love what you do Mm. and Everybody reverse engineers my life and they're like, oh, of course you loved all your jobs. You've done this, 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 and this. I'm like, look, let's be honest. When I graduated law school and started selling legal research online, there's a nobody in my law school that thought I was going to make millions of dollars. Yeah. And they all thought I was a moron. None of them were jealous of me. Not until 
I learned to love what I did and was great at it and made tons of money. Did everybody want to come work for me? Tell me how lucky I was yeah, and how amazing right. it is. I think that's such an incredible point. Something that um, people are starting to ask me now is because I, I do currently do something that I enjoy doing. And that's why I started doing this because I was not doing, I, I was in door to door sales for six, seven years, like training, management, recruiting, selling, all that kind of stuff. And it was, taught me a lot and great time freedom, good money, all that stuff, but I just, I didn't like it. So jumping into this, it was doing something that I really enjoyed doing, but exactly what you're saying, I think is a fantastic point because bottom line, I would rather be doing like smoking a cigar, sitting on the patio in Cabo overlooking the ocean, <laughs> just about over anything else, you know? So like ultimately you're never going to just love every aspect of what you do. I just don't believe that. And you perfect example would like I always tell people go watch dirty jobs for a season with Mike Rowe and he goes yeah. through all these different jobs these people are like cleaning septic tanks just the nastiest filthiest jobs but you watch them they're just having a good time and a lot of them make good money because nobody else wants to be in them like those people did not get into that for the love of the game right, right. <laughs> like, yeah right they learned to love it and built something out of that so how can how can somebody listening right now do that with something if they're not sure exactly how to change their mindset about it yeah so the difficulty of changing your mindset is you have to be able to find the light in anything so when you derive purpose from what you're doing, then you can be passionate about it. So, you know, for example, when I graduated law school, I had law loans coming from a very, very poor family. I was deriving a purpose, right? My purpose was I wanted to buy my mom a house and a car. So I remember the recession, nobody was getting jobs, and I was praying to God that it, if he could give me a job that would buy my mom a house, buy my mom a car, and pay off my law loans, that I'd shovel shit with my hands for six days a week, 12 hours a day with grace. Mm. Meaning I'd love what I did yeah. because it was tied to a purpose. And when you see people and you see them in these jobs and they, they work for me sometimes, they, but they're driven by a purpose. You know, I saw that my mom enjoyed what she did mm -hmm. because her purpose was she was going to create and let her family thrive. She was going to create a legacy through her children yeah. and she was going to empower her children. And that purpose was greater than anything else, which allowed her to love the fact that we were all in a car. And I didn't know any difference because of the energy that she carried. Yeah. Right? I used a trash taking out example. When I was little, I hated taking the trash out. Yeah. And I purposely put this into place and said, I'm going to love taking the trash out because I put a purpose to it. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to use taking the trash out as time to think about what I want. Right? And mm -hmm. to make me happy. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, instead of creating a negative energy resistance and shortages and voids and obstacles and taking the trash out, all of a sudden my energy shifted about the trash because it was an opportunity for me to think about and really plan on what I wanted for myself and how to make me happy. So not only was I taking out the trash at home at the office and friend's house, but everybody around me saw my energy. Hmm. And including my three teenage daughters who trash was like kryptonite to, <laughs> who all of a sudden my middle one who never ever would take the trash out is like, hey dad, can I get that for you? Yeah. She didn't do it because of any other reason than the energy and purpose that I had given the trash. There was, it was calling her, hmm. right? Because it's just like if you're eating something and say I was eating something delicious and I was like, ugh. Right, but while I was doing ah, my energy is ah, but I'm eating it, and inside I'm like, oh, that's really good. <laughs> well, imagine the other, right? You got something, you're like, mmm. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's terrible. Right. What are people gonna do, right? They're gonna go and oh, can I have a bite of the mmm? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's what they do with energy. When they feel the mmm, they're like, oh, can I? 
Can I participate? Can I get on, can I get in on that? Exactly. Yeah, right. and, and it's just arbitrary and capricious. It's an illusion. It's what we infuse light into. It's how we find the light. In fact, if you hate somebody or you disagree with someone, the easiest thing to do is find a light. Find mm-hmm. thinking that you do like about them. Look for the positive side. Understand where they're coming from and then pray for their happiness. Yeah. All of the negativity, destruction, death, all the disparate, bared feelings will go away. Yeah. Can you give us an example of that? Oh, yeah. So in my life, we'll go back to where yeah. I came from. Yeah. So I'm a multimillionaire, mm-hmm. and I am just investing. And one of my neighbors tells me that he's going to teach me condo conversion. And you know, if I buy this condos for millions of dollars, he's going to teach me how to do this. Meanwhile, it ends up that he made a mistake. He thought it would have been converted already, which is called a white paper. That never happens. Well, instead of working it out, which he offered to work it out, mm-hmm. right? I used my ego, my wife ego, everybody was attacking everybody, everybody, everybody. And initially when I went bankrupt, I blamed him. Mm-hmm. My wife certainly did. Yeah. And, and I hated him. And I was on a journey of trying to forgive him, but I will tell you that energetically I did. Yeah. I would tell people, man, that you know my bankruptcy is the best thing that ever happened to me. I learned so much. I'm gonna be such a better person. It saved my life, it saved my marriage, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. But I would go home and dream about pulling the guy's fingernails off in Tabasco. (laughs) Yeah, right. Like, that's the energy I was carrying. Mm -hmm. And so I started this mechanism of closing my eyes, and I'd picture him, and I'd find all the good things about him. Like, he was a good dad. He was really good to the community. He sponsored this. He, you know, and and all of a sudden, all these things I started to remember that he did good to me Mm -hmm. started to come out. Mm -hmm. And... I would take that and I think about what I love the most, like a family member or, you know, my favorite hamburger or whatever yeah, it was. Right, right. And I take the light and I cover him and cover the same and then hold that light over me in an exercise with my eyes closed and nobody around until I felt my energy shift. And I will tell you, because people ask, you know, I'm a big believer in time is infinite. Mm-hmm. It took me nine years until I carry a true energy of forgiveness and gratitude towards the guy, where I actually went up to him at a Chargers tailgate game and thanked him sincerely, energetically sincerely. Sincerely is the key word there. Yeah, Yeah. really, and I still have that. I have no, you know, even if we were talking about him right now five years ago, Mm-hmm. There would be an elevated if, if yeah. you had a brain test. You start on getting me. all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You <laughs> might not be able to see it, but yeah, right. the brain waves would go up and my tension <laughs> level. If you had a you know false right. thing, right. you could do it now and you'd be like, ah, oh, yeah, this guy truly is, is at peace because he found the light. Mm-hmm. And I tell people all the time, if things aren't going the way that you expect them to go. It's just a matter of understanding and praying for the or putting faith into what you want, which is praying for someone's happiness. Yeah. So very simple formula. I don't understand what's going on. Try to understand it, yeah. but moreover, put faith in what you want out of the situation. Yeah. And that, in this case, when someone that you don't like, pray for their happiness, because if they're happy, they won't be attacking you. Yeah. You've, you've said something recently that um, I thought was, was really interesting, and that was there is no success tied to money, with, like gaining it, losing it, which is totally contradictory to anything you hear. Right. Everybody's always like, oh, successful equals this, unsuccessful equals this. Can you kind of expound on that and tell us more what you mean by that? Yeah. So for me, detaching my emotions from an outcome is very important. Right. I want to enjoy the consistent, persistent pursuit of my happiness. Mm-hmm. Now, success isn't determined by money and money can't buy happiness. But what money can do is it allows you to shop. Right, And so if you're shopping for the right things, you're going to be happy. If you're shopping for the wrong things, you're not. But depending on what you want to shop for is determinative upon how much money 
that you want. Now you can be what other financially successful, meaning that you have more money than others, mm -hmm. but that doesn't make you successful. Yeah. Right. I had more money than I ever dreamed of, and I think I was the biggest loser that in all the time of my 51 years of life. The time that I had the most money was the time I felt I was the biggest loser. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. it was a large number. Over right? hundred million dollars. Over hundred million dollars. Yeah, it's a large that number. you're worth, and then it just goes <laughs> gone instantly. So now, obviously, you can laugh about it, you can joke about it. Back then, what were the emotions like? When when Timing was so, yeah. yeah. When was the point where you were just like, damn. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so, two years before I went bankruptcy, I went through a quantum shift. Right, my okay. wife woke me basically to understanding that I was living my life the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And so for two years, I was starting to live my life the right way. And all of a sudden, things got too steep. And I was in that, wow, mm -hmm. I really screwed this up. Yeah. Now, my mindset had always already started to evolve and accelerate. So I wasn't in, I, I would say if I went bankrupt, when my wife, you know, a attacked me and told me she wasn't happy and all that, I probably couldn't have handled it mm -hmm. at that time. Yeah. But I had so much money at that time, and I started on the right path, that my mindfulness was prepared mm. for the bankruptcy. And I was probably the only one that wasn't worried. Like, in my mind, it was math. I, I had already explored and learned and learned about the unconscious competency and realized that I carry an energy. I'm one of those people. You could take all the money in the world, dump it into a desert, and I'd be one that it keeps coming back to. Like, I believe it goes back to the same people energetically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I had great confidence that there was no accident nine months out of law school as a millionaire, no accident that I was a multimillionaire, and there was no accident that I lost it all, but it really didn't worry me yeah. because I knew how to make money. What I really wanted to learn was how can I be happy with making a lot of money, and two, how can I maintain that? And what came about is understanding that it all comes through me for others. I started creating complete fulfillment, purpose, and passion by being profitable because I had a newfound incentive that was endless. Yeah. Right? When things happen for you, it, you can have too much or enough. Hmm. You're full. Right? That's what creates this empty feeling. Is that yeah. what? What do I buy now? <laughs> right, you know, right. like I know it sounds sick right. to say, but I yeah. was in that place where it's like to be happy. Okay, I'll buy more things, right. different things, and and pretty soon it's like this isn't it. Mm. But when it comes through you, and there's more than enough of everything for everyone, and you're like, wow, like today I spoke at Thrive, mm. and I tried to inspire people to impact a billion people. Mm. Now, as crazy as that might sound, on one stage to impact a billion people, even though there's only two thousand people in the room, may have seemed crazy. As crazy as 10 years ago when I told people that you could talk on a cell phone real time in color in China back and forth at very little charge of any. Yeah. And they right. said that's impossible. <laughs> well, some of the people out there when I told them today that it's not impossible to impact a billion people, just follow me. If half of you today, 1,000 of you, if I can teach you in the next hour to empower another thousand, to empower another thousand, we just impact a billion people, right? Yeah. A thousand times a thousand is a million, a million times a thousand is a billion. And all of a sudden, my crazy idea of talking across the world in color for very little charge to China is about as real as impacting a billion people. And I can't tell you how many people afterwards told me, yeah. man, we're going to change the world. One eighth of the world is going to be happy because I have a new mission. Yeah, and I'm thinking to myself, this is amazing. Right, right. So I'm really curious about this because you, you're a big numbers guy. Yeah. Right? You care a lot about numbers and you know numbers very yeah. well. But then you have this other side of you that's very much like emotional, spiritual, like, and, and, I, and, I, and it seems like you make a lot of decisions in this realm 
but with the numbers as well. And typically I find those two fields like opposing each other. So right. can you talk about like I see them the same, yeah. So for me, everything is math. Mm-hmm. But part of that math is energy and in motion. And so what I utilize is awareness. So the biggest gift I could give you is an awareness. So if you say, well, what does that mean? I said, for example, if health is your primary concern, imagine if you had an awareness of when something that you were doing, eating, saying, believing, or surrounding yourself with was unhealthy for you or corroding your health. Mm. That'd be a great awareness, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> right? Yeah. What about the same thing if money was your objective? What if you had the awareness, a simple awareness, of when to buy and sell? Is there any greater gift I could give somebody in financial? You could be, I don't care who you are, what you create, what you innovate. If I give you a simple awareness that, hey, gold is this today. If you buy it this day and sell it this day, there's a margin. It's just a matter of how much money you can raise. Right, right. Because you know it. Right. So for me, this combination in this complementary world of spirituality right, which is a flow, a currency, a faith, and actual math, and I utilize them both to elevate my vibration or my awareness to make good decisions. In fact, you know, we were talking about, I have my new book coming out, Game Time Decision Making. I believe the math in making decisions is in the ability to be more interested than interesting and raise your awareness to the assumptions you're making. Yeah. Because it all takes is one bad assumption that could kill you let alone financially kill you. So one bad assumption, doctors make them all the time. They make one bad assumption, all of a sudden you're dead. (laughs) One bad assumption, right? And we do that with, I made one bad assumption and lost over $100 million. I assumed that because I had equity in all my properties, the bank would give me money. Little did I know that the bank doesn't have to give you money even if you have equity and banks can lose money and want to hold on to your property instead of loan money. And then when you're not as liquid and you miss one payment, other banks don't want to give you loans and it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. One bad assumption. Yeah. If I use mentorship, someone that's been in this situation and I said, hey, I'm going to make this decision to spend all my money because I have equity and I think I'm going to borrow against. You've been doing this for 60 years. Mm-hmm. Can you see anything faulty in my assumptions? Yeah person would have said, yeah, I do actually. What if the market does this? Or what if this happens? Yeah. That's why I use you know, other people connecting all of us since we're one anyway to ask you know, my two favorite questions. To ask one, how can I help you? How can I be of service? How can I provide value? Whatever way you want to phrase it, it's basically, dude, do you need anything? Yeah. And the other side is, the harder side is, hey, any way or anyone you can help me with? Yeah. And, and those two questions, I will pound it into my following until, because I, 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 and the reason I pound it and talk about it so much yeah. is I don't do it every day. It was like nine months on stage telling people to say thank you before you go to bed and when you wake up mm-hmm. as a complete hypocrite because you can't do it for 33 days. It took me <laughs> nine months for me to do it. Yeah. I was laughing today because I gave a challenge to everybody mm-hmm. to give me a thumbs up for 14 straight days. Yeah. Right? And we had 150 people in a mastermind yesterday. And yeah, most of them texted me immediately or DM me immediately a thumbs up. Yeah. Well, I got very few this morning. Really? Until I was back on stage reminding people, and then they started sending them again. <laughs> and I promise you, and I, it's frustrating, but in reality, I promise you the majority of the people that have sent me thumbs up won't be doing it by Monday. Hmm. The majority. Yeah. So the real success, the empty mile exists, and the people that can enjoy the consistent every day, persistent pursuit of their t- potential, what I call habit machine. 
If they can create a habit machine where their being is one in which you can effectuate what you want by consistently doing it, yeah. then you can be like, oh, I want to lose weight. Okay, I'm going to do this every day. Oh, I want to be stronger in my right arm. I'm going to do this every day. Yeah. Oh, I want to make more money. I'm going to do this every day. Oh, I want to improve my relationship with my kids. I'm going to do this every day. I'm going to improve whatever. That's, that's what's the key component in there? Being able to create a habit machine where I think about what I want to do every day and I'm out of my own way, meaning my ego is not corroding the connection of what I know to be true. Yeah. You list out three things. Tell, go around, this is an incredible experience, and I suggest people do it. Go and say three things in your life that you know are good for you that you don't do. Hmm. Right? Yeah. And we all have them. Yeah. There's three things, right? I shouldn't drink, or right? I shouldn't smoke, right. or I should, whatever. Why are you doing them? Yeah. Right, there's other things that you can do to have fun, but you know, right. <laughs> working out, not working out. Which one do you think is better for you? Probably working out. Yeah, right? <laughs> to a, but like, so why can't you do it every day? Right. Why, like, let me give you an easier one. Do you believe, I'm not, I hate to interview you, but I'm going to ask yeah. you the question. <laughs> yeah. Do you believe that if you say thank you every day for 30 straight days, morning and night, that'll change your life? Yes. If, do you truly believe that? I, I do. I, do you I do, do it? I do not. Yeah, I know. No. Me neither every day. Yeah. <laughs> I still miss. Right. I'm teaching this stuff. I, I know it in my heart and soul. Mathematically, yeah. I know it. Spiritually, I know it. To, to the point where a grateful person will look at their life and say, I have more lives to spend. Mm. Right? I'm so grateful. Yeah. That this life is just not it. And I can't prove it either way, and neither can anyone else, but I just decided that's the more grateful way to look at it, mm. that I might as well live forever than not. <laughs> yeah, that's right? very true, right, yeah. And it's just like saying, I get to do this, not I got to do this. Mm. Or you get stopped at a red light, and you're like, thank you, right? Because you know that it's a bigger piece of the puzzle, and that you stopping at this light was actually creating a better experience for you in some way or manner, right? This yeah. is all just an attitude of gratitude. But yet, the most simplest things that we can do 99.9% .9 of the people can't do them. Mm, yeah. And so I learned about, all right, how do I get better at doing them? And then what, what, was, what was the answer to that for you? Like, how, like what did you do? I lowered the to... bar. I mean, I, I love simple answers because yeah. the universe loves simple. So what I realized was if I want to do something every day, I need to lower the bar. I need to create as little resistance as possible. So I would set goals of doing something for a minute minimum a day and okay. see if I could do it for seven days. Or if it's like working out was one. And this is a true story. I got 47 pounds of overweight because I was traveling. And, and the reason was I put my family first, then my work, and then my health. Hmm. So I never really focused in on my health. Never prioritized. Yeah, because there's always time, more time to spend with my family at work. Mm -hmm. Like, I never, it was always like, I don't have time to work out. Right. Oh, you know what? And, I'm, and my job is around drinking and desserts and, <laughs> and fried foods yeah. and, right? And I'm good just stuff. consistently <laughs> gaining weight. That's what I was good yeah. at. And so, like, you get there and all of a sudden I said, okay, I need to work out. So what am I going to do? So I really use this to implement what now seven days a week minimum I spend an hour a day on my health hmm. first before my family and work yeah so I readjusted my priorities I first day said I'm gonna put my tennis shoes on and so the night before I went to sleep I laid out my tennis shoes with the socks and so before I got on the shower right I woke up yeah and I put the shoes on and I'm like you know what 
I put my gym shorts on, then I put my shirt on. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to drive to the gym. I kept inching myself, right? Yeah, right? Then I drove the 24-hour fitness. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go in and do 15 minutes on the elliptical. Not hard, mm-hmm. right? Nice. I just want to stretch out. Like, mm-hmm. I hadn't worked out in so long. And I ended up 30 minutes on the elliptical and actually breaking a sweat, mm-hmm. feeling really good, got endorphins pumping, yeah. went home, and I said the next day, I laid the shoes out. And once again, back to the gym, back to the gym. Now it's the reverse habit, right? If I'm not working out, Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I got to figure out something. I go to only hotels that have gyms. I do everything revolves around it. And that's what we do in our entire life by getting the exponential growth and acceleration that we want out of something. It doesn't start without action. And so we're really good at saying, oh, you know, I need to work out. So I'm going to work out an hour tomorrow. Right. So from zero to hero, are you kidding? Yeah. So here's another. I'm gonna go from waking up at 10 a.m. not working out at all and eating sugar all day to waking up at 4 a.m. working out for three hours and eating broccoli at every meal. Yeah. Yeah. And and the best analogy is, let's be honest, if you want to do push-ups every day, Mm -hmm. right? Tell me who's gonna end up in a better place. The guy who does a hundred push-ups the first day and then is so sore that he can't do them for the next two weeks, or the guy who says, "I'm going to do one push-up." for three straight days and then I'm going to double it every third day because it'll be at 100 when I get to 300 days. Got it, yeah. Right? Right? Who's going to get there? I guarantee the guy that does one push-up for three days then two for three days then three for three days will make it to 100. Would would you say that then this whole conversation is leading me to the, you know, thought that consistency really is what it all boils down to? Absolutely. Do you know why? Because that's the way we're made. So here's the flow of our current. This is the flow of the objects in which we want. So our bodies, we're a system. Mm -hmm. And we have cellular memory, a cellular structure, an embodiment, which is our conscious. The way that we input data into our bodies is through the five senses. Mm -hmm. We see things, we smell things, we hear things, we taste things, we touch things, period. Mm -hmm. The unfortunate part about that system is that our data is foggy. Our eyes don't work 100%, our mm-hmm. nose doesn't work 100%, our ears don't work, yeah. you, you understand right. that. So what we try to do though, is we try to be consistent of the 10,000 new data points, thoughts that we get yeah. about from the perceptions of the five senses. Well, if we can control and maximize the clarity of what the inputs are, keep them positive with gratitude and forgiveness, accountability and inspiration. Mm-hmm. If we're inputting into the embodiment, all 10,000 of them, None of them negative, hmm. right? None of them. But if it's all positive, well, that goes then into our neural pathways, the second part of our system, the subconscious. 40,000 of the same thoughts are brewing there. So the majority of the time, those are what we're inputting into our brain, yeah. the 40,000 thoughts. Not the 10,000. Hmm. The majority is when you're sleeping, most of your inputs from these 40,000, that's already a third of your day. Wow. Right? Now, if we control what we're putting in, we're now controlling those 40,000 because the high vibrating, the more lightful thoughts, the more positive things that are electronically charged, mathematically higher than the other. It takes one particle of light to adjust a million particles of darkness, mathematically proven. Wow. Right? You're in a room of darkness and you turn a candle, mm. one particle of light cancels out a million particles of darkness. Wow. Really cool, right? Yeah. Same thing in your brain. One particle of light a million particles of darkness. So if you're controlling 10,000 of these particles in their light, they're going into the 40,000 particles, more light, neural pathways are formed, now you're creating those habits, hmm. right? Neural pathways are what creates habits. Yeah. 
Then the things that most people have no idea about is the unconscious competency, which is your genetics, how that neural pathway system, the 40,000 particles or thoughts or whatever you yeah. call them in your subconscious are impacting your DNA. Your personality traits, characteristics, obsessions, and addictions that have been carried down from four generations or more dependent upon your beliefs. Hmm. Could be four billion lives down to you or just yeah. four generations, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Either way, you can activate the DNA that you want and de deactivate the ones that you don't want. Then even more complex is the unconscious competency of energy. As I spoke from before, I carry an energy of being able to track money. Hmm. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I can teach people to shift their energy. Yeah. So was, they attract say, their. So wait, do you just you just born with this, or is this like so? Remember, you... it's in my genetics. Yeah. Right. So yes. Yeah. I, I was born a certain way, and you know people that are born this way. You've yeah, seen them sure. when they're five. I was born that yeah. way. There's there's no accident that nine months out of law school that I was making money. Mm -hmm. There's no accident that I was making money selling tennis shoes at four in the morning when I was in law school or educational systems right. when I was 18 years old making killer money. Mm -hmm. I have an unconscious competency, but what I have learned is I can teach people, right? I think that's why my coaching and executive coaching, coaching the coaching business advisory is that I am deep about, look, I'm going to teach you to put faith into what you want. People are like, what are you talking about? You know, you, you're world renowned for this and you're telling me it's faith-based. I'm like, yeah, it's faith-based. The aggregate of what you think, say, do, believe and the unconscious competencies. I'm gonna take you through with focus homework every day, mostly about a minimum of 10 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna have you putting faith by your actions, your words, your thoughts, your beliefs and your energy into what you want and using your faith, that aggregate, just like money, as an object of current, as an object of energy to put into the currency, as a currency, into the current, the flow, yeah. which I call intention, right? What do I intend to happen that goes far beyond most people's imagination? We don't even imagine big enough. Hmm. But if I put the currency of faith into the current of intention, I'm going to learn consistently to get what I want faster and more accurately again and again and again and pretty soon you're one of those people they're like man he's lucky yeah right yeah right. I, that's all luck is it's someone that is, understands the currency yeah. of faith yeah just good stuff happens for him all the time he's just one of those lucky guys yeah, yeah you're full of light like, yeah you're just attracting that to you yeah. yeah so shifting gears and talking a little bit more about what you brought up your new book coming out you mentioned one or two things from that what are a couple of other insights that you are trying to push out there and allow people to take into their lives yeah, so when we make decisions, we usually make decisions based upon the opinions of others. And, you know, we make huge mistakes in our life. I always say, if, you know, to take advice just because someone loves us is really bad advice. Mm. We end up most of the time taking advice from people that don't know what they're talking about because they care about a lot, a lot about us, mm -hmm. right? They're called our parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, siblings, best friends. That's who we call them, yeah. teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what we need to do is go ahead and seek the right people. People who sit in the situation that we want to be in. One of the examples that I'm using now is I'm cashing up, right? I know without a doubt, because I've studied history, mm -hmm. that when markets drop, it's good to have cash. Mm -hmm. People sell things for cheap. Right, right. Well, instead of me figuring out what I want to buy, I'm going to go to the smartest person I know that sits in that situational knowledge, which is Warren Buffett. So would it be worth money, whatever time, energy, emotion, resources I need to pay to get in front of Warren Buffett? Yeah. So... I don't have to think about it. Yeah. I simply have to say, Warren, can you do me a favor? I've saved $30 million. What should I buy? Yeah. Right. I would love to hear that. 
and I think it'd be extremely valuable. And everybody like, oh my God, Dave's so lucky, he's a genius. No, I have an unconscious competency to make money and I've distracted all the emotional aspects out of money and I found the direct trajectory of how to make money, which is buy things low and sell things high. Reverse engineer selling. I'll tell people right now, how did I get out of bankruptcy? I went and I researched where the most rich people were that I had some sort of relationships with and it ended up being here in Las Vegas at Larry Ruvo's big gala where the who's who of everything was here. Mm, yeah. from Steve Wynn to Sheldon Allison to all the big wigs and celebrities, Agassi. I mean, everybody was yeah. there. And I literally spent my night doing one thing, walking around going, hey man, Dave Meltzer, how can I help you? Is there anything you need? You know, I can get you anything, right? Yeah, and right. Like professionally. Right. And, and, <laughs> uh, and how much are you willing to pay for it? Yeah. And I found people that wanted, you know, a yacht, a Rolls Royce, you know, all types of different things that yeah. they wanted. And I picked, I, I wasn't gonna go say toothpaste, <laughs> right, you know, and, get you, and make a thirty cent margin right. for you, but when you're talking about yeah. big stuff, ten million, twenty million dollar things right. from really rich people, you can carve off a million or two. Yeah, you know, I, I laugh because there's certain things I do, including speaking. Right, I do a, a lot, you know, to empower people, etc. Mm -hmm. But if I do a corporate speak like anyone else, I charge. Yeah, right. I know that I'm bringing an ROI to that mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. I could change an entire sales force right. and create a billion dollars of revenue. Mm -hmm. Right, so. But you know, I'm amazed. I think about what I charge sometimes. I'm like, wow, that was an hour. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah, right. Well, that's what what you can do in one hour. Why you know? Why won't you spend it focused in on something that's into the trajectory of what you want, your potential? And if making money is what you need, and sometimes that's where the desperation comes and becomes a success for you, is that yeah. when you have nothing to lose, you bring great clarity. Like, man, why am I wasting my time? you know, working when I could be making money. Hmm. Right? I don't even believe in work. I believe in activity you get paid for and activity you don't get paid for. I believe that hmm. we should maximize our 24 hours of man-made construct by productivity, how much value can I bring, and how accessible am I? And also, how am I accessing what I want? Really clear, simple ways to get what I want in life and stay very clear. At this time in my life, I don't spend as much time just getting a direct trajectory into making money. Right? For example, a lot of businesses, you can either make money or build a business. Right now, I'm building a business, I'm building a brand. Yeah, right. But if I wanted to get laser focused June 1st, which is tomorrow, mm -hmm. I could change my mind and say, you know what? All my energy, directive, focus, and intent is going to be on creating margin because I know that's the easiest way to make money. Yeah. So I'm gonna go ahead and put myself into a more interested than interesting mode of finding out what's the best way to predetermine a sale. <laughs> Right. And go buy that right. again. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. So, look, Dave, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, and I know that you got to run, and I know because a lot of other people would like to talk to you for that long, too. So, <laughs> right on. Um, I know you got to run. I have a couple quick questions for you, and then I'll let you go. One question that I ask every guest that comes to my show, and I have to touch it, and I'm sure we talked about it before, but I want to go through it again. Who you know or what you know, Dave? Which one is more important and why? <laughs> I believe who you know is more important. Okay. Because who you know includes what you know. Because if you know something, I don't have to know it. Mm. Right, so why I would ask Warren Buffett what I would buy. So I, I know that other people think there's a combination thereof. I absolutely don't. I mean, yeah. although there probably would be a what of, I know what of who, but yeah, more importantly, right. who, who you know without a doubt, if you simply can ask for help from the who's, mm. who already know, you don't need to know anything yeah. other than the who. Right. 
Yep, I love that. Perfect answer and a great way to end this. I have one quick segment here at the end that I always walk people through. Just my random round, okay? So All right. quick random I questions, think I remember quick this. random yeah. answers. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm interested to see if they're going to be the same answers as Probably last time. Probably not. <laughs> I'm a different person. So what profession, other than your own, do you think that it would be fun to attempt? <laughs> oh, shoot, I don't remember this. I'm going to have to think. Uh, what is my profession? That's the scary thing. I do everything I want <laughs> to do, that's man. Fair. That's uh, fair. I, professional athlete. There you go. Yeah. yeah, I think that was probably the answer. I, yeah, uh, fun. Yeah, for exactly. sure. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat with them for an hour, who would it be and why? Einstein. Einstein. Yeah, because I think that combination we were talking before yeah. of spirituality and math, that Einstein had the greatest grasp on being able to explain how relativity and physics all mesh into one, and that he had an extraordinary awareness that he could teach me. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? Audio. Okay, any, any sort of audio. What, what would be one or two either podcasts or audiobooks that you would recommend? How You Built This. In my own, the playbook. The playbook, yeah, which is a fantastic <laughs> one. Yeah, great one. Moving on, give us a glimpse, which you kind of already have, but give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Wake up at 4 a.m., meditate for 20 minutes, go to the gym for one hour from 4.30 to 5.30, come home, focus specifically from 5.30 to 7.30 on my family. So that includes making breakfasts, lunches, paying attention to my wife, my son, my girls, leaving the house at 7.30 with three uh, coaching calls on the way to work. Wow. Eight o'clock then executing on my daily plan, reacting to where it's necessary, sticking to my 520 rule, which is trying to make sure that every phone call is less than five minutes and every meeting is less than 20. Also my 120 rule where my main objective with the lens of productivity and accessibility is to provide $100 worth of value and always ask for $20 worth of value back, creating a margin of 80, hmm. 80 yeah. to give even though I'm receiving. Yeah. What is your go-to pump-up song? Ha! <laughs> uh, uh, I like the Happy song. Happy, oh yeah. By okay. Pharrell, yeah. 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 I think it's the same I said before. <laughs> I actually work out, that song's so motivating, and yeah. I, maybe I'm a little bit on the spectrum because of this, because <laughs> I literally will, when I'm, I started running a lot, yeah. I'll listen to that song just for my entire run. Yeah. <laughs> what is something that you are just not very good at? Singing. Singing. The so, worst. So you don't sing Next to my brother. happy. Yeah, yeah no. Listen. Well, I, I would like to sing, but if people heard me, it would hurt them. And the only, there's only one human being with a worse voice than me, and that's my one younger brother. And literally, people, when he sings, because he's a rabbi, will be like this, and they will not hold back. And I'm as close to him as possible with being that bad. Love it. Uh, Dave, as we get everything wrapped up here, what is one place online where we are going to be able to find you the most? Instagram at David Meltzer and uh, you know you can google David Meltzer and you'll find me at David Meltzer uh, I promise you if you start following Dave's stuff if you if you're not familiar with him go give him a follow on Instagram he's always 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 adding a lot of value over there doing a lot of Instagram lives he engages interacts with everybody who jumps on those and comments and asks questions um, always doing his best to like he said add more value to anybody that comes across this path. And then also make sure to go pick up a copy of Dave's new book when it comes out, Game Time Decision Making. If it's done by Dave Meltzer, I promise you it will be worth a read. So Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Again, awesome. and uh, always a blast chatting. Two-timer club, give me yes. a robe, I'll be here. <laughs> 
Well, that's it for this episode of World Class. World Class is hosted by me, Travis Chappell, and produced by Eric Skorzynski. It is a World Class Media production. At World Class Media, we produce top-rated podcasts for seven to nine-figure entrepreneurs, executives, real estate investors, and content creators. So if you want your own show, you have the budget to create one, but you just don't have the time or the team to figure it out, then go to travischapel.com slash make my podcast. That's Travis Chapel, C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L.com slash make my podcast. And let's chat to see if we'd be a good fit to work together. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, peace out and stay world-class.